Howdy. We've landed on Connect This, where we're tackling big cities today and the challenge of getting low-income households on the internet. First, we're going to kick off with a new fun game. Really fun. Has to be fun. Um, it's, it's a game that I'm calling Who Said It and When? So I'm going to read a quote. This country needs a national goal for the spread of broadband technology. We ought to have universal, affordable access for broadband technology by the year 2007. And then we ought to make sure as soon as possible thereafter, consumers have got plenty of choices when it comes to their broadband carrier. So there's a little hint, right? It's before 2007. Oh, I it was, it was it was longer than I was expecting. I, I was typing as fast as I could in Google, and I, <laughs> the, quote, the quote was long. <laughs> Chris Mitchell. No, no, no. This is this predates me. This is um, not me, like as a person, but me in the space. Um, but I think it's it's remarkable, you know, that by 2007 we ought to have affordable, universal access. Um, that was the goal. I, I I would guess it would be the inventor of the internet, Al Gore. Nope. No, it was the man who beat him in 2000. Well, I mean, I guess depending on how much we want to fight about Florida. Um, Joshua? I kind of just I, gave it away. I guess. <laughs> Did you want to guess the year? No, 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 no. I think I'm just going to go with the person. Uh, probably have to go with uh, George Bush in this one. Yes, yes. President Bush said it in 2004. Um, and um, what I, was just, I was looking back, uh, you know, I guess you got distracted. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was just looking back because, like, I remember, like, you know, if for people who are into energy policy, like the whole thing about, like, like we're going to get oil from shale was like this joke from like 1975 through like, <laughs> like, like, I don't even know, 10, 15 years ago, even like until it suddenly happened. Um, but it's just a reminder. People talk about this a lot. And, um, and anyway, I wanted to read that because tonight we're going to talk about some cities that are making it happen. Uh, really exciting. So let me introduce Joshua Edmonds, the Director of Digital Inclusion at the City of Detroit. Welcome. Thank you. And then we have also Jason Hardebeck, the Director of Broadband and Digital Equity at the City of Baltimore. Thank you. And, <laughs> and Jason gets a little bit of extra points because he watches the show. So, you know, Joshua, <laughs> I think, has more of a social life than, than Jason does. <laughs> That's a guarantee, regardless. <laughs> so... Rounding out the introductions, we've got Travis Carter, the 2022 Director of Wing Consumption. Welcome back. I'm back in town. I'm ready to go, Chris. Exciting. So um, well, maybe we'll find a time tomorrow to get up and I can start buying you some wings because I am the 2022 Director of Wing Procurement. Nice. And I'll be uh, making good on that just as soon as I can, although I'm skipping town for all next week for the Tribal Broadband Bootcamp. Um I am the director of community broadband networks at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and um, we're going to have a really great show talking about um, what uh, Detroit and Baltimore are doing to improve internet access focused on low-income folks. Um, and I've, I've actually watched, you guys were on the, the um, what do they call it, the, um, the broadband hub. They did uh, the, the show last week. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I want to make sure I ask you some really tough follow-up from that. <laughs> Um, but first, I think uh, Henry's going to pop up a image that uh, Jason has. Okay. Yeah, this is my segue. So I, I don't have the tie-dye collection that, that Doug does. So I've got to step whatever stage right is, do a quick wardrobe change. Okay. Because this is how I roll. All right. There, there we go. So the, the illustration here you're seeing... <laughs> <laughs> this 
this is um, this is just an example why you can't count a, a city like Baltimore or Detroit out, right? This is uh, this last fall, and you know, I don't know a, a minute or two left in the game, and and they'd already they'd already given the game to to another team, right? They'd already decided Baltimore was out, and then I think after Justin Tucker kicked a a, a uh, a record uh, field goal we ended up winning. So this is just, you know, nothing personal, Josh. I just wanted to point out, like, this is what these cities do. Like, we we have the, the grit, tenacity, determination to make that. stuff happen. I don't believe that. And then to make fun of another city that has some pretty hard times when it comes to the national NFL football. cities. Absolutely. NFL cities. Absolutely. Was it a 62-yard field goal? 62, 66? I don't know. Who, who, who <laughs> the record was 63, yeah. Well, yeah. I think you, you have a, you have another image that might be more related to our, our subject today. <laughs> so this is a shot from a Baltimore City street. Um, obviously, you can see the the, the equipment um, of note, and I'll give you a couple hints. So the building behind it is a school, public school, and then um, I don't know if that helps you or not. Travis, do you have any ideas? Huh. I'm, uh, you might have stumped me on this. I'm kind of, I'm trying to figure out what those four little components are up on the top there. Is that part of it? Hmm. All right, Chris, you take a guess. I, I mean, I have no. Joshua, you got a guess? I don't even know. I thought those were bells at first. (laughs) So my, my first thought was it was a shot spotter until you said, until you said it was near a school, which is relative. I'm trying to figure out how that's relative. All right, I'm stumped. I don't know. First time in what episode is this? The 40th episode? I'm stumped. All right, Jason, what are we looking at? He's right. It is exactly that. It is gunshot detection. Well, and so, okay. So, oh, that's, hold on, hold on. so do I get half point for that? But I mean, yeah. You took yourself out of it. You, you yeah. are absolutely <laughs> correct. That, I think that, you get a free wing tomorrow. This, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to exit and make my final wardrobe change because that's oh my god and the I'll just I'll just amazing Travis used a, a brand I don't feel name. right I don't feel right continuing to put you know Josh through that memory right it's it's like PTSD so this is actually a, a quote from a a local one of our local authors. Um, Kandwani Fidel, and and in, in all seriousness, the reason I, I mention that is like this is this is really what we're focused and faced with, right? Is that we have such significant challenges in our cities. Um, when we talk about affordability, like you know, to the left of that, you know, there's a school right there on the other side of the street. To the left of that is a public housing development, and right center is gunshot detection, right? Like that's the kind of environment that our you know a, a a huge number of our Baltimore City residents are are faced with every day, right? And and so I also point out that we are considered 100% served by broadband, you know, according to the FCC's definition, right? So this notion of affordability is just so. It, it, I I take personal personal offense to this this notion that it's this simple black and white question or answer of we just need to provide a stipend or as, as I will crib from Josh, you know, in the previous uh, state when he said, you can't coupon your way to equity, right? Like that's what we're, what we're faced with is how do you fundamentally address that? 
So this is this is great because there's several different things, like sort of segments that I have in mind. And I feel like this gets to uh, one. And um, and I wanted to – I've made it a couple of arguments. I've, I've fleshed this out a little bit. I just feel like when you say you can't coupon your way to digital equity, which I think – is that the exact quote, Joshua? Nope. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. And, and I love that because I just – I feel like one of the reasons people think coupons is a good idea is because they think of this as a technological problem. And, and they feel like Comcast, AT&T, you know, they move bits all day long. Why can't they solve this? You know, why can't USI Fiber solve this problem? You guys build a great network. And, and the way I, I try to get people to understand it is to say, you know, who's really good at moving food around this country is McDonald's. And yet, like, we don't expect McDonald's to be feeding kids at lunchtime, right? Like, it would be ridiculous to suggest that we get rid of the school lunch program or the school breakfast program, and, and instead we just have McDonald's do it, right? Like, it, we recognize that it's a different kind of problem, and, and we can't just solve it by having a company that moves food around be the ones to do it, because poverty right. is a different challenge. Right. Travis, you unmuted yourself. I wasn't sure you wanted to jump in. No, no, I was I was just listening. I, I was actually trying to make a note of that. Um, you can't. I was writing down. You can't coupon yourself. I was. Uh, can I? Can I use that, Joshua? Take it, please, please. I, so uh, so let's, let's go to Joshua then and ask you, like, um, so what, what? You know, why is that such an important phrase? So again, I, I it, it's compounded, but you know. I think that really was derived from one, I was looking at the contents within the infrastructure bill and that phrase really came to mind when I saw the amount of money going to the affordable connectivity program. Again, I'm glad that there's a subsidy. Now I always have to clarify that with people. I'm like, I'm not anti-subsidy, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily looking at the subsidy to save the day in the way that it's being presented. It's being presented exactly as that. And I think that as we're hearing the conversations, cause you know, the minute you get into like wanting to do some type of open access fiber play in your respective city, well, then you're inviting your city to you know have those more difficult conversations with your internet providers. And the rhetoric has been pushed for so long, and we cities have not pushed back against it in a broader way that you know your challenge is affordability. So therefore, there's an affordable subsidy. So problem solved for you. And so that's a, a counter to that because it's like how do you take you know, the north of 14 billion, that's in the affordable connectivity program and say that this is great while at the same time saying internet is a critical, you know, um, infrastructure and everybody needs it. So it's like, well, then if everybody needs this, then why do we have a $14 billion subsidy? Like it doesn't make sense. And so as we have the conversation in Detroit and, you know, other cities have the conversation about what is deserved, it's very difficult to say my residents deserve coupons in perpetuity. Like you, you, you cannot stand on that from a deserving standpoint. You can stand on it from a short-term temporal standpoint, but from a long-term, what do people actually deserve? And you hold up that subsidy, somehow that subsidy just doesn't really drive home the point that you thought it did at the onset. And so that's really where that phrasing comes from. And one of the things that, that you said that's related to this uh, in the conversation last week with the, um, I've already forgot what it's called again, the hub, hub what? The hub? <laughs> huddles. 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 Yeah. Football. We just talk about football day. NFL team. Yeah. Like the. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the hub huddle, um, the, um, one of the things you said was that, like, you know, we can't just throw computers and mobile hotspots at people. And, and, you know, I, I feel like I got a sense that I think you said that, you know, it's progress that that's like, at least, you know, on the table now, but it's, it's not good enough. So what is good enough? So 
Ohio is one of those cities that, you know, did the evolution over time. So, you know, I you, you could probably find an interview for me in 2019 or 2018 uh, of me saying like, hey, you know, the real focus right now is really on, you know, addressing adoption challenges and, you know, getting people computers. Uh, I mentioned high speed Internet, but I didn't really have a plan for that. And so I think that we've um, really been, I guess, systematic in attacking this from the computer standpoint. Hey, we have a refurbisher operation. Great. Um, and so a lot of communities are like wanting to get that. But now that we have it and that's working, it's like, all right, like climbing up this 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 mountain, it seemed like that was going to be the big victory. But when you get up to that that peak of having one of those, you're like, oh, there's so much more to go. So then it's like, well, then we need to do something with tech support. So then we do that. We need to do something with digital literacy. So we do that. And it's like we've ran all these bases. And I think that the thing that we just keep seeing is it we're dancing around the central issue here. And that's the infrastructure part. And so, you know, I'm not going to say that it really came from the infrastructure bill funding, but I am saying that we saw the infrastructure bill moment to say, all right, let's actually have the conversation while that level of capital is on the table, because philanthropy is does, their money is not long enough to solve our infrastructure challenges. But if we're looking at the federal investment, well, that is long enough to at the very least see this momentum to get us where we need to be. So, again, I think that infrastructure, when done right, and I don't mean to, you know, I'm talking high level because we're still at the beginning of this, but infrastructure when done right, I think that's what allows us to actually say this is significant progress. And now we actually are getting into the deserving landscape. And now we're getting out of just the basic digital access component of this. And I, you know, you'll hear me say it, but now we're getting into the digital empowerment piece. And I think that's the piece that I've been trying to get people to get to, because it's like when we get to that point, that's when the real work starts. And that's when real partnerships start, because I think at that point, People are now dependent on a legacy infrastructure. So their partnerships are as long as that legacy infrastructure. Now their partnerships aren't as long as a cool moment to get kids computers. And so I think that's the piece here where I'm like, I now can see a long-term play outlined with partnerships and outlined with a table big enough for people to actually have meaningful participation in. That's the that's the point of digital inclusion where I think you're gonna have a lot more cities taking this up a lot more serious than doing it as a you know corporate social responsibility play masked as a city plan. One of the things I wanted to let people know um, is that when you say that philanthropy doesn't have enough to solve this by itself, you know, <laughs> because you came to, us, came <laughs> yeah. to Detroit from uh, Cleveland Foundation, which is uh, Cleveland Foundation has gone on to just be really one of the best community foundations, um, uh, which is a line that you will hear on Tuesday because um, next week we have Angela, Th um, Th Angela Thee Bennett um, as our guest on the uh, Broadband Bits show. Um, we talk about that a little bit. But Jason, what's going on in um, in Baltimore? Is any of this resonating or are you just think uh joshua's yeah, out yeah. a little crazy yeah um I, you know i i think it, it kind of a moment in time right um and a couple thoughts right that and what we've tried to do here is really kind of change this this paradigm that that um you know the digital divide a it is a construct of institutional racism and systemic inequalities like it's no different than all the other underlying challenges, right? The fact that we have shot spotter and next to a school and a community is because there's generations of disinvestment and, and institutional neglect, right? And so it's not as easy as throwing some laptops and hotspots in people's hands and expecting it to be better any more than couponing your way to equity. Like it's just, it, it's the same thing as, you know, thinking that SNAP benefits are gonna solve hunger. Right. It's just a band-aid. Right. And so we really have to focus on the underlying kind of structural issues. And that's where city government is 
that's what we're designed to do, right? We, we, we're supposed to be here to do the hard stuff and the private sector will never close the digital divide on their own. There's no, there's not a sufficient, you know, profit motive and incentive, right? It's just, that's what businesses do. It's not a, it's not a morality thing or a, you know, value judgment. It's, it's, it's how this stuff's supposed to work, right? So, so we, one of the things that, that we've done, and I'm literally, I think today might be within a day or two of my official, you know, one year anniversary in, in my second stint in city hall under, uh, and with the new mayor, Mayor Scott, but um, we, we published a, a digital equity framework last fall, which was really intended to be kind of a roadmap and just like you know, compass points, right? And, and one, of, one of those key tenants was, was declaring access as critical public infrastructure, right? Um, and, and treating it as such. And, and what does that mean, right? Well, one is, you know, we you know, pointed to, well, I'm using all these sports metaphors today. I pointed to, I'm gonna have to point to left field, which is going this way. Um, we want to close the digital divide in, in Baltimore permanently by 2030, right? That's a, that's a heavy lift. Um, seems like a lot of time, but it's nothing because what we're, what we're also saying by, by saying that is that we're going to undo generations of disinvestment. And, and that means that we need to build a municipally owned fiber to the premise network to support um, not just better internet access, but all network delivered services, right? So that's a big piece. Um, and we're starting in the most um, socioeconomically disadvantaged neighborhoods, the most underserved, even though the FCC says they're served, we know they're not because of the 150,000 households in Baltimore, which is roughly 40,000 of our households. We have around 340,000 passings, right? Um, if you're looking at it from a network perspective, um, it's estimated that 150 some thousand people are, or households are eligible for the affordable connectivity benefit, right? And close to 100,000 do not have a connection at all, a, a land, you know, a wireline access connection, right? So, so clearly, even though we have a, a large ISP, residential ISP in Baltimore um, that has a ACP compliant product and, and you know, it's not working because it's the private sector. And I just think that that's something that we just fundamentally have to say, you know, we, we got to do the heavy lifting. You know, it's, it's incumbent on us, same way that the city, you know, maintains roads and, you know, municipal water system, it's a utility. Doesn't mean we necessarily have to be an ISP. We're going to build the roads. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that I, I sometimes worry is that a person's watching this and thinking, you know what, those scumbag companies, why aren't they connecting all of Baltimore? And and I, I really resist that, um, not because I love those companies. I have plenty of criticism for them. But, like, there's a fundamental truth that if Brian Roberts or if Travis Carter says, my mission is to figure out how to solve poverty in Baltimore, uh, well, Brian Roberts retires the next day because like that's not really his choice, right? He's working for the shareholders that own the company. And those people want to make money. Uh, that's how the system works. And so I don't blame Comcast. I just have realistic expectations of what they can do. And similarly with Travis, like he's a smart guy. He's building a great network and like he could connect people. But like fundamentally, like these are things that like ISPs aren't equipped to do on their own. So I just I really resonate with that. But I don't know, Travis, if you have a different reaction to that at all. Well, you know, Chris, we you and I have been trying to make inroads in this area for years and it's become very clear that unless you have strong leadership at the city level you're it's an uphill battle quite frankly there's a few there's a few things that have always bugged me about this topic the the incumbents have a lesser service than everybody else first off i feel that everybody on the network should have at least you know gigabit symmetrical service regardless of how 
the capital is being, you know, how the revenue is being generated, if it's through ACP, direct payment, you know. And secondarily, I've, I've always been a fan of if you can get technology in people's hands, no different than what, ha what happened to me when I was 10 years old and walked home and there was a shiny computer sitting there and I got really into it. So I think smart private companies, they, they look at this in, or I, I think they should look at this correct. What I think is correctly is you're building future customers. You know, that's what you're doing is, okay, you might not be a customer today, but everybody grows up and becomes an adult and becomes part of society. And if they have a, I'll use a banking term, they call it a taste for credit. If they have a taste for internet, guess what? And you're the best internet in your area, who are they going to use? So I think it's short-sighted on a lot of people's, but it, I'll be honest with you guys, it's so hard to get, you know, like we could, what we, you know, we've wired up, I don't know, 50,000 MDU buildings. You know how many government buildings we've been able to wire up? Zero. You mean like public housing facilities? Public housing facilities, anything like that. It, it's it's been a been a tough road, and and they and I don't feel I don't know if it's an issue with these folks. I just don't know where it's it's become a priority for them and how high of a priority it is. On you know when they go to work every day, is broadband high on their list or not? I don't I don't know. I'm not privy to that. Well, what what you just said, Travis, really feeds into I feel like what both Jason and Joshua have been talking about, and that's the leadership matters tremendously. So I don't know which one of you, Jason or Joshua, wants to tackle that. Why does that matter so much? <clears throat> I, I I can I can start. Um, so 2019, uh, that's January 2019 is when I moved to the city of Detroit. Um, again, you mentioned Cleveland. I was working at the Cleveland Foundation. Before that, I was working in the public housing. Uh, the Colorado Metropolitan Housing Authority out there doing the connect home stuff. And at the time, the city of Cleveland, uh, the, the, the mayor just did not have broadband on his list. Um, you know, he just was not supportive of the digital divide and even said, you know, there's no such thing as a digital divide because kids have smartphones. Now, obviously, you know, you can judge someone harshly by that sentiment. However, that is the that was the majority sentiment before the pandemic anyway. And so it's like, you know, when I say it, it doesn't date well. However, that was how people were thinking. And so um, when I moved, uh, part of the big reason why I moved to Detroit was because there was an opportunity to work in municipal government. And I was just curious, what happens when you have a, a municipal government who is willing to say, hey, full steam ahead. Um, we might not fully understand the scope of the issue, but we know we have an issue here. And we might not have funding lined up, we might not have a staff or any of those things lined up, <laughs> but we have an issue. And if we had one person going to bed and waking up every single day um, focused on this, and we had another person who was our you know, chief information officer, Beth Niblock, who's now the uh, CIO for HUD. Um, if we had someone internally who was able to take all of the you know, punches and haymakers from the mayor when, when he didn't understand something, that then allowed us to work. And so I saw firsthand a night and day scenario where it felt like we were treading water and always swimming around the issue. Uh, you know, folks who've heard me talk about my time in Cleveland, you know, we did a lot of great things, but I refer to it as a donut model and that we were never really getting to the core player who needed to be engaged, which is the municipal government. And so now all of a sudden that I am in a you know stronger government structure in a city that obviously has no shortage of its, of, of its challenges, getting broadband to be recognized as something that is connected to all those challenges. Yeah, that falls on me. But it also falls on leadership to then keep it at that standard instead of like, you know, saying, well, you know, lead, lead lines need to be replaced. And that is very important, which, again, I agree with that. 
but have someone say lead lines need to be replaced and while we're down there let's run conduit for fiber that then is leadership in action and it's in a tangible way and that is where i'm like that's the sweet spot if you're in a government that has that type of understanding and nuance with leadership to actually enforce that then it's like okay you might as well go as far as like the boldness of your ideas which is why again you hear us saying the fiber optic open access network because why would we just you know have all that in place and get on first base see jason i made a sports reference too <laughs> see i was gonna i was actually gonna go with uh with a reference to top gun and say that i feel like you know jason when it comes to leadership he's like maverick at the uh, beginning of that movie when he oh my God. claims it's his second time around because he crashed and yeah. burned the first time <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I was just, you know, I, I want to resist the urge. When you say Cleveland, I, they used to have an NFL team there, too. But oh, I think my goodness. This guy. I, 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 that team's doing well now. He's getting That's, muted. <laughs> the original team moved to an East Coast team. Oh, right. Because we are for it. Um, so my, my story's a little different. Um, I'm not originally from Baltimore either, but I've been here. You know, I met my future wife, you know, many, many years ago. She's from Baltimore, so now I am. Um, and it spent my entire, most of my adult, you know, career in, in the city. Um, one of the things I did um, about eight, nine years ago is I, I uh, the, the current mayor, or the, the, that mayor's uh, request, we co-chaired a task force on smarter cities, right? And this was post Google Fiber, like when Google Fiber would say, we're going to come to a city and everybody, you know, 300 cities applied and Kansas City won. Uh, we didn't, but we said, now's a good time to kind of take a look at what do we need to do to be the next, you know, the next city. And broadband just kept coming up as like this critical aspect of, of any smart city, which, you know, go figure, it's obvious now, but it's, I guess it was still novel then. One of our recommendations was to establish a role in City Hall, broadband coordinator role to take a closer look. And so I was tapped to do that. And and I felt like then, this is, you know, 2015, 2016, um, there was no clear mandate. The mayor was generally supportive, but there wasn't like this drive to do in, you know, something major. And um, I lifted up a lot of rocks looking under, looked underneath, right? And so, um, it, it, but didn't get a lot done. So went off and did some uh, for a few more years. And one of the task force members at the time was on the city council and, and, um, and a year ago became Baltimore's mayor, right? Um, mayor Brandon Scott, who is born and raised here, grew up in the city, understands, um, you know, lived experience in all of the challenges and understands that what we're facing here is no different, right? So he, he's, he's also highly technically, you know, technologically, you know, literate, right? So he gets it natively, right? Um, just, it, but, but when we started talking about doing this again, you know, there were two things that, that we needed, you know, one is you have to have a mayor that gets it, right? The leadership just has to get it, right? It's not something, um, that you can, you know, it's got to be kind of built in. Um, and the second is you, you do have to kind of elevate the, the, the role and the need to be able to work across a lot of different, you know, not just internal agencies, but external stakeholders, right? Because, you know, I think that's one of the challenges, right? If you're saying, oh, this is a technology thing. So it goes in IT as part of that. Like, you know, Baltimore has, you know, we have some unique assets, including our own municipal conduit system, right? Good head start. But Department of Transportation owns a conduit system. Our IT department owns the fiber that runs in it and runs the network. We have a real estate division in the comptroller's office that owns the, you know, so you have all these kind of disparate assets, right? And, and part of my job is to figure out how we kind of pull this all together and kind of synchronize that. Um, and I think 
in addition to the mayor though, is we do have a very enlightened executive leadership team um, across all agencies, deputy mayors, because it is, it is impossible to come through this pandemic and not recognize how critical internet access is now, right? So it's kind of moment in time, like that's the silver lining, at least for, you know, from, from one aspect. Um, so that's, you know, that's exciting. It's not enough. It's, you know, it's still a hard work. And like, this is stuff that's going to take years and years and, and likely exceed most of the, you know, terms and, you know, the, 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 political lifetimes of a lot of the folks that are, are, you know, charged with making this happen. And like, that's, it's true at every level of government, right? Like getting somebody to focus on something beyond their next election can be really difficult. Now, I feel like um, I, if I'm reading Travis's brain, he's like, all right, what are we going to talk about what these guys are actually doing? So oh, how did you know I was going to ask? <laughs> we're going like, to do yeah. that in a second. But first, yeah. I just want this okay. one other I, thing I, I want to yeah. ask about. Okay, I want to know what what this actually means. Like, yeah, when, so, when's the first person getting hooked up, and how's it going to happen? That's what so I want. So we're we're gonna get there. But there's one thing okay. that I felt was a little moment of tension in their last in that interview on the Hub Huddle that I wanted to to pull at. And actually, I feel like this is um, totally comes down to um, a line that I um, I think about all the time um, in the in a classic movie called Canadian Bacon that nobody watched except for me with um, uh, Michael Moore, uh, Michigan Man. Um, and in it, he one of his few lines in that movie, he wants into a bar because there's a crisis outside and he says gentlemen there's a time to think and a time to act and this is no time to think <laughs> <laughs> which just always gets to be that, that issue of like obviously that's not what you're doing but like like there's times to act and so in it jason you said we have enough research on the shelves it's time to do stuff it's time to implement it at the same time i felt like joshua you were saying like all the data you have as to where the need is comes from pre-pandemic and there's all this intervention that's happened since then and so i'm curious like like what kind of information do we still need versus like how do we avoid the game that some people are playing which is like oh we can't do anything until we have more information so how do we deal with that Oh my gosh, what a magnificent question. Um, okay, so I think that this is like uh, a lasagna answer and that it's, it's layered. Um, and I don't like you coming, I'm, I'm hungry. That's what that is. Um, <laughs> but what I mean by that, like you all know, obviously, NCIA has like desired guidelines for how states should allocate the funding um, from the B program. And so it's like, okay, states ultimately are going to decide like their own methodology. And, you know, they're going to go undergo some type of data collection effort. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, we are going to do this and, and we're going to get it right. And I feel like on the city side, there's already, again, that rhetoric of affordability being our challenge. And I think that people are just going to look at those like that existing rationale and go with that. And so then like the data is almost going to be, it's going to confirm what we already believe versus what we already know. And that's a different thing. And so <clears throat> I think that the data and research right now, especially if I'm looking at a Detroit and I'm at the state, it's going to be, this is their poverty rate. So their poverty rate says this, so therefore they cannot afford this, but thank goodness there's an affordable connectivity program. And so what we would like to be able to say is like, yeah, we hear that, you know, census track data. However, from a household individual standpoint, how can we begin exploring additional um, levers such as a sentiment analysis approach? Where does sentiment actually weigh in here? And I, I, again, I think it's a little bit naive for us um, to think that sentiment is not going to play a part in adoption. I know that you all don't think that, but I think the broader folks are looking at it that way. And it's very black and white um, way. And I think that the more data we're able to collect and explore, 
the more we're actually able to explain things beyond, and we're able to e elaborate more on the state of poverty within these cities. Because I think that's what I want to unearth as much as possible to say, poverty isn't you know an affordable connectivity program solution. It is the affordable connectivity program is a great bridge to understanding how poverty works, such as how you know perpetual billing can disenfranchise people, and how the lack of choice and options um, don't really allow people to essentially have products curated for them. And what market forces make the most sense? Again, when you're looking at a 30% poverty rate, those are the type of things that we do not see, nor do we have data on. And it's a bit more of an anecdotal statement that we make that makes sense to us. But I think that the data is the numbers that we actually have. Everything else outside of that, while yes, it's rooted in something, it does not transfer to at the state house for them to be able to use that to justify mm -hmm. us getting that funding. And I think at this point, we are looking at data for offense and data for defense. And I think that right now, man, another sports one, but right now it's like we, we have like people who are um, thinking about this again at a really great way at the onset, but they're not filtering this down in a way where I can say with confidence, these are all of our households, not just, you know, census tract ones. These are all of our individual households that are struggling with, with the, you know, either they don't like their internet providers, their internet providers ruin their credit, um, you know, they have horrible customer service. So these people gave up. In addition to that, we have one neighborhood in Detroit that had a 45 day internet outage last year. Those are the type of things that do not show up in any type of data table. How many right. internet outages have happened in these communities? How long were they? Again, none of that happens. And somehow that blame does not get pushed on any of the internet providers. That now somehow just looks like a failing on the city, even though we don't even own that infrastructure. So I think there's just a lot of nuance here that we have to unpack. And I think that the more data we collect, the more we're able to use it for defense and defending why we deserve this funding and offense to say why we deserve these solutions that can scale in our communities. Right. Because if we can connect that to an earlier um, part of the discussion, the the legislature is looking at data and they're like, oh, coupons. Like, that's cool. Like, and, exactly. and you're all just like, no, you're looking at the wrong data. Like, that's not useful. Um, this gets back to something actually Travis has said in the past, too, which is that like, man, if we could just like take some people from the city of Minneapolis and like wander around some of the neighborhoods that have low adoption and talk to people about why, like that would be so much more useful than yet another like kind of dumb survey or, oh. or um, just uh, people assuming that they know what's going on. So uh, yeah, it totally resonates. Uh, Jason, how do you react to that in terms of what data is needed versus like just getting stuff done? Yeah. So uh, I will build on what Joshua said and, and start off by saying, you know, the best defense is a good offense. Right. Um, and, and so that's that's kind of how we've approached it. Right. Is our desired end state. We've decided that we need to build fiber to the premise and it needs to be municipally owned. This is not something we can outsource or, or you know, it's not a private sector. Like I have, I have no problem with, you know, market forces competing, but it's, you know, our ISPs are private toll roads. We need shared public roads. That's that to me, you know, I don't need to collect data. We've already decided like that's the baseline. And so what we also know is that we need to start in the places that need it the most, right? So so our whole focus, and this kind of gets into Travis's real questions, like what are you actually doing here is, um, and, and you know, Joshua's touched on this briefly, right? It's like you try to interpret the rules and there's a lot of ambiguity and, you know, around served, unserved, underserved, or, you know, whose data is what, how are you going to make a decision? Um, you know, reading the tea leaves, especially that, you know, as the, the Infrastructure Act talks about you know, what the B grant program is about. Um, it's clear it's, 
it, if we did nothing, it's all going to end up in rural areas, right? And not saying that's not important, but that's not going to benefit, you know, our, you know, the real challenges that Josh and I are faced with, right? So um, there's a, there is language around affordable housing, right? And, and, and low-income housing. And so what we've decided to do is like, let's start there. You know, we're going to build this citywide network. Let's focus on building from there and basically from the ground up. So, you know, my goal is that the, the best internet service in Baltimore City will be public housing residents first, right? Because if you start, that was kind of the conventional way, you know, when you talk to somebody, you know, back my first stint, um, you know, you talked about how do you do this municipal level? It's like, well, go after the high rent district, find all the, you know, all the neighborhoods that want, and this is what Travis says, right? Again, this is, it's, the, it's kind of the traditional math. You know, then you develop the cash flow that makes you, it allows you to kind of support, um, you know, the, the, and it trickles down to the folks that are um, less fortunate. And, and we're looking at it from a city's perspective and saying, you know, we've got to start there, right? And so, I, I, you know, data is nice, but again, I mean, it's, it's reality too, right? Like I showed you that picture is data, right? We have lots of that data. We have statistics like you wouldn't believe of the challenges and the disparities. Um, and so, you know, we don't we don't feel like there's a need to to prove again how important the internet is, right? We've gone through two years, for example, in our you know that during the pandemic, and around seventy to eighty thousand public school kids in Baltimore City, and half of them did not have you know fixed internet at home, right? And you know the school system has deployed twenty thousand hotspots in that last two years and five, six, 6,000 Chromebooks and the like, right? And so these are, those are temporary stopgap solutions as well. So that's where we're starting. We're starting where the need is greatest. And, you know, as you start to drill in, if you need data to, to, to you know, to be able to create more specifications around something or like, you know, more of the details, like, that's great. But like, you know, I'm, most of my, my career has been in startups, technology. So you get really used to dealing in ambiguity and you get directionally right and you get going and then you start to focus and you can start to refine that. And that's what we're doing here. And we just, you know, the other fact is that we are responding to a public health crisis, right? Digital divide is, is a huge, um, you know, crisis and, and it's not going to get any better. So part of this is you do have to respond quickly. You do have to act. Even you know if even if you don't know exactly what the the full scope will be, you got to start somewhere. So Baltimore is uh, building fiber first to public housing uh, with an open yeah. access business model. Uh, Joshua, go ahead, sorry. Jason. I, I, yeah, I, I was going to elaborate on that. Like um, our phase one is yes, we're going to build public fiber to all our public housing residents, in addition to deploying public free public Wi-Fi in those same neighborhoods. But it will be. Um, building on our existing municipal assets and um, wherever possible. And, and Joshua, what are your first steps then in terms of, um, I know that you have some rescue funds, um, rescue plan dollars allocated. What are you going to be using that for? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'll, uh, before getting that, I guess, higher level, you know, very similar to Jason, you know, we are the city looking to have that municipal ownership of the fiber infrastructure and then obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, we're not gonna be operating this. <laughs> um, you know, we are very sensitive to uh, Michigan's laws around that as well. Uh, however, our framing within our infrastructure plan is one where we do declare this a digital access emergency. And if someone were to say, well, what do you mean by digital access emergency? 
well, where does it make the most sense to exemplify it? You heard me say that there was a neighborhood in Detroit that had a 45-day internet outage last year. That is ground zero for an emergency. So we are um, going to be wiring a neighborhood up um, this year, uh, this summer. We want to actually have the homes connected. Um, in June, we're actually wanting to start the construction of our network. Um, it's the uh, Hope Village neighborhood. Um, again, about 2,200 households. And from a demographic standpoint, I don't even have to explain it because only one one type of demographic are you going to see that is going to have a 45 day internet outage. Um, you kind of guess the economic situation there. And so um, I think that's going to be the immediate part for us is really focusing on that area. However, we have allocated an additional rescue plan funding to our housing, um, our public housing sites as well. Um, they already have kind of a, a, a wireless desire. Um, and so I think that this is another piece that does come up sometimes is when you have entities that have different beliefs on infrastructure. And for us, you know, we know the end of the day, we want to have a city where we have a, you know, 381,000 uh, drop points that we need to light. Um, and so we know that we're going to eventually get there. However, we are starting with the neighborhood first, the neighborhood that, you know, again, exemplifies um, the typical demographic we're going to see in a lot of these Detroit neighborhoods. But at the same time, we are going to be running fiber to our housing commission sites with our, you know, ARPA funding. And our belief is if we're able to demonstrate it that way, then when the infrastructure bill funding comes available, we are now scaling a solution versus saying, hey, we have this big problem. 30 percent of Detroiters don't have Internet. Oh, will you help? It's like, no, we're actually taking this from a way that this already has results. And with those results, we have the confidence to say we want, you know, the tune of what we're asking for. And the reason why I don't hear me saying that is because what this infrastructure costs versus what we need are two different numbers at the onset. Um, and I know Jason can resonate with that approach, um, but we are going to be phasing ours as well. It just so happens to be that our first phase is a neighborhood pilot. And then, you know, as we get additional funding, whether it's EDA grants um, or any other type of funding, we are going to be prioritizing um, diversifying the infrastructure builds as much as possible. So we are at the same time going after an EDA grant um, specifically that is going to run from Michigan Central um, down uh, the street called Werner. Pretty much the reason why we're doing it over there is because that is an industrial and commercial corridor. And we want to be able to, again, diversify the narrative around fiber so that way we are not just standing up there at the state saying poor people need fiber. And no, it's like, no, our city needs fiber. And these are the diversified uses in which fiber can actually help us address some of these larger challenges that do not get you know the appropriate level of discussion because poverty is center, um, at least in the state house discussion aimed at Detroit. And I assume it's going to be the same thing in Baltimore and these other cities, too. Travis, you've waited a long time. I want to give you a chance now to start asking some questions about how they're doing this. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm, I'm excited to hear that we're um, actually doing something because, you know, I, I don't mean to be cynical, but I, I we've talked for a lot of years and a lot of people have talked and talked and talked. So I, I just like to give a little perspective. So we've been building in the city of Minneapolis for about 12 years now. And, you know, it's it's not quite as simple from our experience of like, a neighborhood, it's not so much the haves and the have-nots. You've got varying degrees, and let me elaborate on that. What we learned early on is the neighbor, the neighborhoods that were the very high economic areas and the areas that were very low economic areas, ironically, they were about the same as far as uptake. It was, 
it was their desire for technology was very low. You know, uh, when you'd knock on the door and somebody would be playing the AM radio and they had their flip phone and, you know, they had rabbit ears on their TV, they're not internet users. And so what we found is areas of those two categories, it's not like, it's not, they weren't bad areas. They were just slower to adopt. And, And so what, and what happens is in those two categories is what you will find is when you get into a neighborhood that uh, meets either of these two de- uh, demographics, you'll start finding champions in the neighborhood. It isn't us championing our technology. You'll find people that live in the neighborhood. And quite frankly, in a lot of these areas, it'll be the kids. And what really attracts them isn't the Chromebook to learn school. This is a big misunderstanding. It's it's their Xbox or their PlayStation has a 10 millisecond reduction on ping time. Guess what? Now they're Call of Duty game. They're winning. And now all of a sudden they tell all their friends at school and everybody wants to get this new fancy Internet again. So it's it's a little bit different as I see it is. So when we take our our budget for the year, I, I take 75% of the budget and I allocate it into neighborhoods that I know are going to have a reasonably short uptake on subscribers. And then I put the other 25% in areas that it's not that they're bad neighborhoods, they're slower adoption neighborhoods. And I don't I'd be curious to see if you guys see the same thing because, and if that's your plan, because the, you know, a lot of people need internet for a lot of things. And now that we have streaming content, Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, and we also provide in-home consultation to people now to get them hooked up to YouTube TV. We're starting to swing that the internet isn't, you know, these core services for these folks. That's it's it's their basic services, entertainment, gaming, etc. And doing that over the fiber plant, and oh, and if they can get it for a little bit less money, okay, bonus. So again, that's just been our observation. Our hardest part has been in is to get into government owned buildings because the bureaucracy and again, isn't really set up to bring the latest and greatest technology. I'm assuming that they're trying to address more basic human needs every day. And when they hear high speed Internet and 10 millisecond reduction of ping time, they're like, we're trying to get people food. You know what I So I don't blame them. I just don't know where it where it resonates on their needs. So that's, that's just my opinion. Everybody likes the internet. Everybody likes good internet. So our feasibility study was kind of done at that point. Everybody knows the neighborhoods. You know, I, I guess I do have a question because I think in, you know, from a government standpoint, can you guys operate autonomously with your own PLs and reuse the subscriber revenue that you have to reinvest the capital back into your network? Or do you have to every year go and, I hate what's right. I don't know the right term. Uh, bag Seeking appropriation. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's it's an excellent. There's a bunch of questions or thoughts in there, right? Yeah. And one is that is still on the to do list, right? Like, where does this network live? How does it operate? The governance, though, like these are public assets. Like again, if we tried to answer all those questions before we did anything, we'd never do anything, right? So. So I'm not saying we kick the can down the road, but we, we, we recognize we'll need to figure that out. So, but I, I think you make up a, a couple of good points. And one is you're looking at this exactly as you, as you have to, right? You're a private company. 
like you are looking at at cash flow you're looking you know it's there's an investment to be made and that's totally appropriate i think if if a city looks at this as basic services right like if 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 you kind of i think we have to shift the narrative like i i honestly believe in the next five years if every city isn't thinking similar to what josh and i are are doing and and our you know city leadership you're going to be left behind because you wouldn't build a city from scratch today and not put fiber in the ground next to you know water power etc like it is a it is a no-brainer right so it's the the problem is the incumbents right have invested mm-hmm. decades billions in building out this proprietary network they don't want anybody messing with this of course not like why would you like why would you want the city to kind of supersede that right so i get that like there's a tension here but but the reality is as you've talking you know talking about like speeds i use the analogy of like what water looks like right now like if acp is giving um our you know lower income residents uh, uh, you know, opportunity to get what is essentially the lowest quality, lowest speed product, right? So it's like if you're, if we did that with water, if a city did the water, like for poor people, or drag a garden hose in and put it through your window, because, you know, only rich people want to, you know, two people want to take a shower at the same time, right? Or whatever, like, it's, why is it good enough on the internet side, but, you know, water, everybody gets 60 PSI, Everybody gets clean water. We're not worried about, you know, the, the quality. It's still, there's still a cost, as a, you know, issue that, that has to be. But, but the other factor there is because the city, you know, it's a public service, we're able to theoretically drive the cost down to a commodity level, right? Right now, internet is a, is a luxury item and it is priced as such. And our real goal isn't to be an ISP. Our real goal is to commoditize the network and drive the cost down so that, you know, we don't have this artificially high because we don't have any real competition. We have a, we have, you know, we have a cable company, we have a telephone company, the telephone companies Verizon, they've chosen not to deploy Fios fiber in the city market decision. We can't force them to, they're doing it in select places, but you know, it's, it, that's not, it, it is not acceptable for the city to just, passively sit by or say, please, you know, help us, right? So so the um, the questions about like how you fund it or how you maintain it, like there are excellent questions we need to figure it out. And I think one of the keys, and it gets back to your first point about like, adoption, is one of the things that cities can do is we, we can drive a lot of that adoption because there, we have a number of different constituent facing services, right, that, that um, all of this that digital divide touches, right? So, you know, whether it's our um, homeless services, it's immigrant affairs, it's our public housing, it's health, the health department, you know, everybody, everybody has a, a component that is affected by the digital divide. And so part of this is moving or shifting this idea from it's, it's just about the ISP to what else can or should we be thinking about, right? So, um, and I, I say that because like, if you think about it as public infrastructure, you know, it's smart city, IOT stuff, it's traffic, smart traffic signals and traffic lights, it's all this stuff. And I feel like what we're gonna end up with is more of a blended revenue model, right? That, you know, we can we can collect revenue from a bunch of different users. Some of them are city, you know, municipal agencies, not just the ISPs. And and that's that's not something that I think you can really probably count on for a, from a private provider. 
And I'll, I'll say that's the same, you know, it's, it's spot on with us too. You know, as much as you heard me hounding about data, um, this is the walking and chewing gum at the same time, where it's like, we know that we need to figure out this data play for defense, because we were going to, again, try and say, we don't know what we're doing. Our plans aren't as solid enough. Uh, I, I, <laughs> it's not missed on me that um, Jason and I are using the same consulting team. Um, so like a lot of the framing that we're going to be talking about is framed very similarly. And we're also in a very similar spot. You know, we don't know who's going to operate our network. We have figured out, you know, we do want a, um, an autonomous open access network and that we are going to be leveraging software. However, we still have to explain the resident facing experience and the internet provider experience as well. Currently our plans are infrastructure plans through and through, meaning what does it look like from infrastructure ownership and the public um the, the the municipal government treating this as a um an asset that can um 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 be a revenue generating asset and like us exploring the value of that infrastructure and that as a plan what we haven't done is figure out again the internet provider experience the resident facing experience but the thing that we already know to be true we know that open access networks when done right uh have the ability to drive down costs and have the ability where they do not need to be dependent on a government subsidy. And so it's like, well, that is the North Star for us to build this experience that is on a fiber network, um, given the length of uh, a fiber's use, that's, it's, you know, it, it works for us. That is us building back better. But in addition to that, us figuring out how we can create a seamless experience for consumers. I wanted to do a, a joke and almost, you know, pull up and call an internet provider and see how long I was going to be on hold before I talk to someone. And I think that this is something where for some reason, if everyone says they hate their internet provider, again, that's not me picking on anything. That is like a common thing that people say. Mm -hmm. And so if that is the case, then, then how can we build a model that counters that? And so our thinking right now is really already laid out, but the actual experience piece is what we're going to be uncovering. And again, this summer for us, we're going to like to be able to have answers to who's operating this network, and what is the resident facing experience and how we the municipality can eat our own dog food here over time and not spend two million dollars a year on internet that's that's what we spend <laughs> hmm. one of the no oh, go ahead travis I, I i was just wondering if maybe uh if we, if we have time if we could just role play a scenario because i've got like a million questions so okay I'm the ISP, you guys are the cities, right? And, and I'm signed up to be one of your, so let's, let's pick on this, this 45 day outage. So there's a fiber cut in the street. Who's responsible for fixing it? Currently, our thinking in, in, our, in our, in our new world, right? In our new Detroit net, Baltimore net, public access network, who fixes it? So currently, our thinking would be that the, the city would fix it. We are going to have to build up significantly our internal um, capacity. We know that. But our current thinking, and we're actually going down this list of like, what do we want to own versus what do we want the operator to own? So we've already kind of gone down this list. And this is one where we're like, hey, given how, how little would need to be done to maintain the fiber asset, then that is something that we think that the city could actually own and build up our internal capacity there. I, yes, same. Okay. Baltimore currently manages our own network. Now, when we have an outage, it's not affecting residents because typically, you know, our fire is only serving, you know, city buildings, city. Um, city yeah, just the police and the fire. Not a big deal if they run out. 
it's kind Rec of centers, right? You know, offices and like. But you know, we we may subcontract. Um, you know, we have vendors that that do a lot of the work for us. Like a lot of like, we don't have our own rigs. We don't directionally bore ourselves. But as Joshua has pointed out, like I, I believe this is something that the city needs to develop core competency in. Like, um, you know, we don't we don't envision being a full featured ISP, but we do expect um, and then fully anticipate to operate a basic uh, connectivity capability to be able to, you know, power public Wi-Fi, for example, right? So I call it kind of the nuclear option, right? It's it's like, I can't, you know, where, what's the level of outsourcing versus, you know, you know, keeping in-house? And I think we'll figure that out of what we're good at. But I also want to say that one of the primary goals of our efforts and using American Rescue Plan dollars, it's not just building infrastructure and turning it on. It's actually creating opportunities alongside. So we have money set aside for apprenticeships and workforce development training. We want to develop our own core competencies. You know, part of this initial build, we anticipate um, up to 400 public Wi-Fi hotspots throughout the city in these neighborhoods. Um, I, I want to have... Um, you know, staff and, and maintenance teams from Baltimore City residents that are trained to you know, operate, maintain, um, and install, right? So I think we're going to find there'll be a level where we'll find a comfort zone and say, no, it doesn't make sense to add this capability to our in-house because we can't justify it. Um, but, but if you think about it from a, you know, utility standpoint, like we have that, we have those kind of same kind of, kind of decisions we make in other related, um, you know, public works and, and other utility type um, needs. So Rudolf Vanderberg asked, um, why don't you use a construction firm? And I think, um, you know, Jason, you specifically said you might subcontract that out. I feel like, you know, Joshua, you may end up doing it too. I think the question is sort of who's making the call on how much to invest in it and what the response times are. And I think feel like what both of you are saying is that the public needs to be at that table and making sure that like you're able to to make it to get that job done if there's a fiber cut you want it fixed pronto and you don't want to be like oh we don't really have control over that right so um that's what i'm and, hearing and, and at, at the onset oh go ahead jason i'm sorry i say i guess i should clarify too right like when if if it's a city's responsibility for a cut a fiber cut travis is you, you know your scenario um is it a city crew or a contract the city hires as like rapid response I don't know the answer to that, but if, if it's the city's responsibility, it will get fixed. But, but yeah, I, I, I get your point. It's why we have well, to. It, it's going to be part of the big, because the reason that most people dislike their internet provider is the internet provider is, it provides very poor service when they're down. This is no longer the days. Like when we started back in 95, if the internet wasn't on, people would go outside, go for a walk or do something else. Now they miss three pings, man, they're pissed, right? You know, it's like, and they got, they're, they're calling somebody. So you there's gotta be a clear delineation from the ISP, the, the hardware that's mounted on the home, the fiber in the ground back to the egress point. And then how do these ISPs connect to you? You know, how do we get back to internet exchanges, you know, uh, transit providers, et cetera. And then you you will attract a fair number of, of internet providers to ride on top of you. I guess my, my worry, though, is these delineations, because at the end of the day, the customer is going to blame the ISP. And if the ISP has a very challenging situation with the city to get things fixed, you'll be on onboarding and offloading ISPs as fast as you. And, and the other challenges, there's not a lot of us around. 
So it's like, you know, there's not like there was when we originally got in business where there was 900 of them in Minneapolis. I mean, there's there's one now. So, and you know, these are things that hopefully will get addressed and, um, you know, that, that you guys will make sure that, that, that the ISPs are protected as well. I mean, what I want to see is – go ahead, Josh, and then I'll come back. <clears throat> I, I just say we're, we're having that, that conversation and that, that series of conversations because we've already received the feedback from our larger providers saying, like, this does not incentivize us. Like, you're shrinking our profit margins, and at the same time, if the network goes down – that the, the, the residents are going to blame the city. They're going to blame the internet provider. But if it's yeah. something that's the fault of the city, then how does that make sense for us too? And so I think that, uh, again, for us, the evolution here, and I'm you know thankful for this nuance of a discussion because it's like we have to really figure out and not let the pendulum swing so far that you're only thinking of the residents because residents aren't the only ones that are going to benefit here. There right. is a scenario where the residents and internet providers can benefit I think that we're still trying to figure out that happy medium. We're indexing heavy on the resident experience because in our cities, that's the fuel to get that funding. But at the same time, we're, we're not ignoring that we have a lot that we need to figure out specifically on protecting internet providers because the internet providers being on our network is the reason why we want the residents involved here too. And so again, I, I just think that what you're hearing right now is our natural response to the residents first but at the same time, we are not ignoring that internet provider experience. That is something that we have to figure out because, again, this doesn't work without those two actually like being in harmony. And and right now, we just haven't been able to get to that point of. That's you know, ISP. I like Rudolph's model. You have the city that owns the asset. You have the ISP, and then there's a third, which is an asset manager, a private company, or public, well, whoever that actually is responsible for managing the infrastructure. I think that's a that's that's a path to success. I, otherwise, I think it's going to be just this who blame who, you know. No, well, I wish Kim was here so she could defend her model. Well, <laughs> Kim, but see, but see Kim, got all, Kim has years and years of experience. And you right. know what? No, yeah. I think that's so right. I mean, the city has these expertises. They could pull that back in house. But mm -hmm. day one. I think it'd be real challenging for the city to pull off. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think it is going to be challenging. I think it's going to be it's going to be hard hard work getting back to a white man can't jump. I watched that on a plane then after I referenced that and it was it like uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I can't remember. Um, it still holds up. Excellent movie. Um, it's, it's hard work. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the uh, point I wanted to make was that, Travis, like when you got started in 1995, you had the benefit of a neutral platform of the telephone company provided to go out and get customers. And one of the things that I'm desperately hoping for is that like in the neighborhoods where Joshua and Jason are building, some of these entrepreneurs are like, oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to like, you know, I'm not going to be like Donald Trump rich, but like I can like I can make a living at this. I can invest in the neighborhood like I can make a name for myself. And like maybe over time I'll learn the business and I'll start doing my own like network builds it's, it's or whatever. Funny you bring this up because we've already had this model back in the nineties. Yeah, exactly. Like we had yeah, seventy five hundred ISPs that happened. came out of nowhere. But I, th I think you know Jason and Joshua need to provide all aspects, and and the barrier of entry is so high right now to become an ISP, especially in a, in a in a urban market. That if they can knock down these barriers, sure they'll they'll entice a bunch of ISPs to come in. So, Travis, you had a bunch of scenarios. Can you do one more before we run out of time? Uh, okay. So then I – so the ISP will obviously want to own the customer experience. So is the city comfortable with that? Because they're – the customer – for instance, like 
we all buy, we have water, right? Do we know how it gets delivered to our house? Most of us would probably be challenged to really know the ins and outs of how it gets delivered. The problem with internet is everyone's gotten so into the technology that they're worried about all the bits, parts, and pieces where I think it needs to get back to more of a water model where the water, my internet is bought from, you know, whatever ISP, how it gets to me, I don't even care or know, or I'm not concerned. So I, the ISP would own the customer, would own the in-home experience, would own the tech support and the billing and all of that, which means that they need to have access to the network to determine status of the lines, you know, the, all the pieces of equipment that are in there. So there's, there's a lot of technical components that the cities are going to need to hand ISPs so that they can actually manage the customer, the end customer experience. Because what you want to get to is you want to get to first call resolution 90 plus percent of the time. And if you can't get there and the tools aren't there, then it's a, a it's a, it's going to be a, a disaster. This is where I think the software defined networking comes in. And I don't know if Joshua or Jason, if you want to really dig into that. But like this is I mean, like this is my understanding is one of the differences between the Utopia network and the Ammon model, which is, you know, close to the technology that these guys will be using is that in the Ammon model using software defined networking, you have much more access to what's going on in the network. And so you will have them being able to have the visibility into uh, where the problems are in theory, as opposed to on the Utopia network, where I think there is generally less visibility for ISPs. Um, Kim might come on and slap me around next time for saying that, who knows? I mean, I, I would just say in general, um, our goal is to build out as future-proof as possible. So we're, we are we are avoiding wherever possible making a, a technology decision that limits, you know, deployment. So Pond versus Active Ethernet, for example, I want to support it all, right? And I want to support as much and postpone those decisions and, and push them to the you know the future as much as possible. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I you know whether the the you know the technology for SDN is really here or not, um, it. And I think that may, you know, maybe an opinion, right? Maybe opinion on what side you're on, but I think it is, it is inevitable, right? That it, that these advances, if they don't exist today, they will exist in two, three, five, ten years, whatever, right? And so what we're trying to do is like build for the future, and to you know Travis's earlier point about like what does the experience need to be uh, for the first ISP? Is that is that going to be this need to be the same for the second, third, fifth? Right. And and so I think that's part of why I think it's important for and one of the challenges for cities to do this is what like we're used to trying to solve the whole problem all at once. And, you know, it's, you know, government about stability and, and you, know, making, you know, it's a constant. And, you know, what we really need is agility. Right. We need to be able to kind of operate more like a startup. Right. Like shifting and, and you know, and figuring out, well, hey, that's not going to work. Um, so let's, you know, let's, let's shift and, and do it a, a different way. So, you know, my first question would be like, Travis, in your next cross country, you know, you may stop in Detroit on the way to Baltimore, but like, you, you may spend some time in both cities and, you know, tell us how to do this right. Well, I mean, if, if, if I had my, my dream network, if there is such a thing, <laughs> hand, hand each ISP a dark fiber strand to each house in each building. And then we'll take care of the electronics. We'll take care of everything, all the management, onboarding, et cetera. I mean, that would be the dream scenario. And Dean it, Jasper advocates for that from Sonic as well. We, we yeah, talked I mean, about that in a previous then, episode. Then you, then you eliminate everything. 
mm-hmm. you know, there's no there's no technology emotion to anything. It's just here's your here's the strand going from a built, you know, your central office in the neighborhood back to that that property. The one thing that that doesn't allow for, though, is multiple ISPs then using that strand for services in the future, which is not a big deal right now, but depending on how things evolve could be. But I, I think this is a little bit beside the point. We're going to be wrapping up in a minute or two. So um, I, I I'm, wanted to make a pitch for my dream scenario here. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that. Like, I feel like people need to hear that. Like, it's a good don't, idea. Don't get in the way. I mean, we can do some business over there then. You got good. Some cities doing that. We have really good wings in Baltimore. <laughs> um Joshua I wanted to I wanted to throw this at you first but I'd love to hear Jason's response too which is um I feel like one of the major problems we've seen particularly in NFL cities is that politics has gotten in the way in both of your cases you have this strong leadership where i feel like a the mayor's leading it which is terrific in other places we've seen city council members or commissioners or whatever they're called wherever you are um they 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 kind of want to go big or do nothing because they're trying to figure out how to take it to be the mayor the governor the president and um and i'm just curious i mean you both seem to be doing the really sensible thing of starting small figuring out how to work it um and i'm you know i'm just curious you think that that's an issue that like, because you have this mayoral leadership you're avoiding or, um, you know, how do you read that? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I think with our last city council, um, I don't think that we get the support we get now. We just had a, a, an election. And again, like it's the perfect storm to do this. So you, you have this pandemic. A lot of these people ran on the digital divide as an issue. Now, you know, they weren't obviously, you know, able to define the nuance of what could happen, but they knew that internet access was an issue, which I'm like, great, we can work with that. <laughs> the fact that people are going to say that, we can work with that. And so I think that our whole plan is like, wherever we find political leadership, that then is like, we can quantify like the degree of success of like longevity here. So if we have enough city council members who legitimately care about it, you have the people optically like, sure, you know, people aren't going to say if they see $62 billion that they don't care about the issue. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like you have people who care about it not enough, who are willing to show up. Plus, you have a mayor who is willing to make those phone calls. I think that's the point where for us, it's like go big or go home. And thankfully, we're surrounded by people who are fresh in their new seats who exactly want that. And so I think that it's, again, a different one when you have council members who might have been on their third or fourth term. Yeah, you come up with a big idea. They've seen big ideas all day. They hear them from, you know, whomever is pitching something about we can do something with cryptocurrency for everybody. It's like they hear that all the time. <laughs> when you got people who are just fresh in here, who are standing on their words still, people remember what they were saying just last year in that campaign trail. We're able to pounce with that inertia and we're able to kick this thing a lot further. And now we're not getting into the infighting. Now we're not getting into is so and so bought by this provider. Is that why they're disagreeing? We don't have that thing right now. And so it's like while while people are still less jaded, <laughs> we can work with this crew. And I think that that's been you know our our piece. Our mayor has just won his you know his third term, and at this point, usually you'd see them kind of like getting into a groove of what they're saying, their theory of change. But this one right, our mayor right now is more so like, what haven't I done? And it's like, hey, we push broadband. He's like, okay, then broadband it is. And I'm like, that we can work with. So again, I think it's. Every city is going to have like their sweet spot and how they position this. I could probably give you the same counter if I was, you know, working in a city where I had legacy council members. I'd probably say, well, they've been here long enough and they want that. So, again, you're hearing the optimism in me. 
really being molded <laughs> to the situation and defending the position that way. And again, I'm just really taking advantage of this newness right now, this energy and blending it together and saying, guys, this is a multi-million dollar, close to billion dollar plan here. And this is going to drastically change lives. Do you want to be a part of that? And again, if you frame it that way, you're going to be hard pressed to find people saying, no, I don't want to be a part of that. I'd rather, you know, give the money to doing what we've been doing in the past, which is nothing. Yeah. I, I, same thing. I mean, I'll try to be short. Besides the mayor, we have a city council that gets it. Like this is a universal, everybody recognizes how important this is. I think where the challenges are, um, it's in a city that has so many needs, competing needs, right? It's like, and scarce resources. Like we've committed 35 million of American Rescue Plan dollars to broadband and digital equity out of 641, right? Like that 641 sounds like a lot of money, but it's, it's you know, it doesn't go far enough, right? So so broadband and, and digital equity is is integral to everything we're doing, but it's it's not, it, it's hard to say it stands alone, right? So it's, it's always kind of competing for attention. Um, and that's just the reality. Um, and you know, I think the other kind of reality, even though I think in general, every city council person and elected uh, gets it, understands it, there's also the like, well, where are you doing it first? And like, how do we get it in my district, right? Or why are we, why are we doing this neighborhood versus before this neighborhood? So that's more of what, it's not like you shouldn't be doing it at all, which by the way, as Joshua said, my first stint, we had, I like the term legacy council members who didn't really understand a, the internet was a thing that was going to stick around or that it was important for something other than getting on that, on the social media, right? It's like, it's actual important. And so you also have to have been living under a rock for the last couple of years, not to get well, how important this is. So kind of give, comes back to like this moment in time. I'll just make one final uh, point, And that is, I think it would be a national tragedy if the vast, vast majority of these infrastructure dollars ended up going into private entities, which is what they're kind of designed to do. And people, I don't think anybody, very few people at, you know, from elected leadership or, or like citizens understand when you say infrastructure, what kind of infrastructure, public or private, right? And that would be a tragedy if we didn't, because we're going to, I'll be sitting back five years from now, going, wait, where'd all that money go? We had $42.5 billion. Where'd it go? Oh, we, we pulled coax on some farm roads. It done. Boom. Right. Like that's, you know, called it a day. Like I, I'm just, I'm terrified of that. Like, how do you, how do you not have this be, you know, the, uh, a missed opportunity? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that the example of coax on farm roads is a, it's, it's an easy one to dismiss, but like, um, uh, I don't I, I'd certainly pull some fiber down the farm roads, but like the, the thing that I really worry that I would use as an example is just like, well, we gave out 20,000 hotspots, you know, like, like it's yeah. going to be good for a good four or five years where like, like a, like, ha, like we find out a lot of people don't even turn them on. And then like, nobody's really reporting on it checking in on that. That's a part of the, the thing that I think Josh, Joshua, you've really been talking about is that like, it's not just throwing this stuff at people. We need like actual digital skills training. Um, Jason, you've, I think allocated $5 million for that in Baltimore, right? Um, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of components that go into this, but like, I'm just deeply worried that, yeah, a lot of it goes to Comcast internet essentials or something like that, which like, it'll be fine for like a number of people. It's not great. Like it's, it's not the gigabit that Travis wants to see. Um, but like the fact that this is that when that money runs out, then people don't have anything. Right. And like, that's what just drives me nuts is we have a chance to like make one time investments that will permanently make people's lives better and, and deal with this. And, and that's just so important. Um, so, and Josh, we look like you're ready to, to I, say what's I'll up. Just, 
I'll just say this 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 whole exercise feels like a, a massive group project. All of us are all turning this in at the end of the day. And I, I feel like when you have a lot of cities who either are not raising their hand to be a part of this group project, there are some things that are being said about these cities that if people actually were paying attention, they'd be outraged. And they wouldn't say, oh, no, 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 we're not turning that in. Uh-uh, no, 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 that's yeah. the wrong solution here. We're going to get this yeah. wrong. And so I think that, you know, my name is on this group project. The city of Detroit is on this group project. And I think at the end of the day, if I have someone grading this, I want to say when it came to our portion, we did our due diligence and we did it right. And I'm not sitting here looking five years from now saying, oof, that was the wrong model. Like I, we had a conversation with one of our internet providers who said that, why don't you guys look at maybe deploying CVRS in some of the more disadvantaged areas and doing fiber in the wealthier areas? And I think this is the, the, the group project for America right now is what is digital equity? Define it. All of us work together. Define what it is. Because I guarantee you, when you start talking equity, you talk to the city, they're not going to be motivated by the private interests here. They're going to be motivated by the public good. And if they're motivated by the public good, then that is the methodology that we're going to be using to judge whether we've been successful or not. And so again, group project here, are we going to turn in this paper? I like what Jason's saying. I can co-sign that. I can say, yep, Jason's portion looks good. But as I'm looking at these other cities, they do not have a response nor plan. I am very, very worried that we're now all is that is that just i was hoping that was only me but it must be comcast is choking on his upload i think somebody's watching joshua right now and they're <laughs> there's a definitely a a challenge right there um, last week um joshua you just you totally were were going a little nuts there we uh we didn't catch any of your audio but it looks like you're caught up now um you know, Chris, a couple, couple of quick comments, if you don't mind. I think Jason touched on it real quick there. Guys, be careful of, of the haves and the have-nots because you'll you'll have great success in a neighborhood and every other neighborhood's going to go crazy that they don't have it and want to know why and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get some arrows shot at you, which are no fun to get shot at. So you'll have to make sure that you, you deal with that. The second thing that, that worked for us is we got into the city's 20-year plan. And so now by being in the plan, whenever we run into any roadblocks at the city, I'm like, well, we're in the plan. What do you want to do? You know, and that and really and, th and that really helps. You know, I was going to say, Travis, I mean, since these guys are part of the city, yeah. um, I'm sure that they both understand, but like viewers may not appreciate, like cities don't always work well, de department to department. And so, you know, it's, it's not like just like, oh, well, Detroit's already doing this thing. Like all the people dealing with the rights of way are going to make it easy on them. No, like it, getting it in the 20 year plan will make it a lot easier to work across those bureaucracies. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And I always look at the city, you know, people say, oh, it's the city of Minneapolis. I always look at it like 20 different small businesses inside the city and they all they all argue with each other. So if you have a plan that's been voted on by the council and passed, it also hops councils too, you know, because there's always new people coming and going. And so, you know, I just go to this little piece of paper and say, well, here we are. I don't know. We're just executing the plan. And so that that's really helped. And then um, lastly, it was, the whole thing about, um, for me, gigabit, and I, with Robert, it's gigabit only, this whole 
you know, people that are on fixed incomes or poverty or whatever get some reduced thing. I think that's ridiculous. Everybody should get the same. Uh, and lastly, I'm not a big fan of Chromebooks and hotspots simply because I want to get kids interested in technology. And the last thing I would want to work on is a Chromebook. You'll, you'll, you'll de-incentivize people, these kids, so fast it'll make your head spin. Give them a proper computer that they can learn computing skills on. All right, I'll, all right, I'll get off on my soapbox there. Well, then I'll get up on one. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so as we're wrapping up, there was a comment I made last week that I, I felt like I didn't explore entirely, which was like we were talking about the costs of building these networks, and I was just trying to make a point that we don't look at the costs otherwise. And like, you know, there's 10 million kids uh, at the beginning of the pandemic that were not having internet access. You know. 10, 12 million kids that didn't have internet access to do homework before the pandemic, when the pandemic hit, weren't on. And I was just sort of threw that out there. Like, you know, and I feel like people might've had a sort of sense of like, oh, you know, but the children, and it wasn't really my point. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of of a George Carlin state of mind for anyone who remembers the sort of his argument about whenever anyone says it's for the children. My point with that is that there's 10 million kids who don't have the opportunities they should have. And A, in America, that sucks. We should do a better job. We can do a better job. But like we are impoverishing ourselves by not allowing those kids to grow up and contribute in ways that will be super positive. And this is where I just come back to it. One of my hobby horses is like electrification was not charity for rural areas. It supercharged the United States of America. Like It made us all stronger. And like that's what we've been hobbling ourselves with this like decades of poverty and not giving people opportunity and like yeah like cbrs sure looks nice you could probably get it done a little bit faster they'll have something but like we gotta that's not gonna solve this issue right like we need to give people real opportunity and make sure they have the opportunity to take advantage of that opportunity so anyway um good opportunity to wrap the show up um any, any very last very short comments no one can be short i appreciate that i can't i'm in the same boot travis <laughs> <laughs> All right, can I can I give my secret of how to get governments moving? I, I, I've been waiting forty episodes to unveil this little thing, and I'm gonna steal it from my buddy Anthony. Gravity, and here's here's how it works at the city. You start with a pilot project in a neighborhood. You get a bunch of constituents that have had success, and before you know it, that gets a little bit of gravity. You get the second network neighborhood going. You get the third neighbor by the by the fifth neighborhood. Now it's that's just the new way we do things. So I would just tell people, get that gravity started. Yeah. Like hook, hook up your first customer and then hook yeah. up your second customer and your third. And we don't even talk about it anymore. Chris wants New to do feasibility studies for the next 500 years. The, the feasibility phase is over. All right. Uh, I'll just say there's I, every network that I've seen that was like, we're going to do this over 10 years. They do it over five or six, like every network that's like, they're going to do it over 20 years. They do it over eight or 10. Like, like that's how it works. And so, yeah, you got to get started. Um, you got, you next week, next week, if you want to tune in, uh, it's going to be lonely. <laughs> I'm going to be down in Southern California, Matt Rantan. And uh, we had an episode a long time ago about the tribal broadband boot camp that we had done. I uh, think we did it last summer um, in the episode. And uh, you might want to look back in the archives for that. The week after that, I'm going to be actually in California again for a little event, trying to figure out how to get people connected. Um, so we're going two weeks off and then we'll be back with uh, Doug and Kim. Um, and we'll be trying to stick to a fairly regular schedule. Although I'll tell you, May is going to be hard. <laughs> I'm doing a, a lot of traveling in May. So um, thank you all for, for joining us. Uh, Joshua and Jason, uh, this was even better than I thought it would be. I, I know both you guys for a long time, and I really appreciate your time. This is terrific. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, Chris. 
Thank you. And this has been another fun episode of Connect This. Mm-hmm.